Well, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here. And uh, last spring, uh, the ladies, led by Katie, did this IF conference. Um, and in that time, there was, I believe it was a prayer time set aside, uh, going through, and one of the things in there was dwell on God's promises, think on God's promises. And some questions came up after that, well, what are God's promises? And so Katie was great coming back to us, like, well, what, are <laughs> what are God's promises that we can lean on? And we said, that's a great question. We should teach on that next fall, because um, we already had things planned out. But that was kind of the impetus for this series is real questions from people here going, what are God's promises? And that's a really good question that we're going to answer over the next four weeks. And we started last week, but, but what are God's promises for us? And to begin that, it starts with how we read the Bible. So we also had this plan to have a, a class, a how to study the Bible class. And then we changed our minds and we said, instead, we're going to incorporate these things together and in groups, we're going to go a little bit deeper on how to study the Bible because they go together. We have to understand scripture in context to understand which promises apply to us. Uh, for example, maybe you've heard this promise or this scripture, Second uh, Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. That is a, a verse that's been used as a promise and put out there to, to lead our country, our nation, people to come together and pray. Well, guess what? That's not to us. <laughs> that was actually written um, to the Jewish people, the Israelites, when God was telling them here under the Mosaic Covenant, if you behave, basically, right? You, you observe the Sabbath. Uh, you don't go after idols. I will bless you. If you do go after idols, if you do disobey, then I, I'm going to curse you, meaning uh, your land is not going to produce. You're going to have thorns and, and thistles and goat heads, and, and it's not going to rain, and, and you're going to struggle. But when that happens, if you repent and turn and pray, I will heal your land and forgive your sins. That was under the Mosaic covenant. We're not under that covenant anymore. So that promise does not apply to the United States right now. When you understand a scripture in context, you can understand when it applies, when it doesn't. Jeremiah 29, 11. In fact, while I was doing research on this series, this one came up several times, places going, here's a promise, and you're not going to like this. <laughs> Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's also not to you. <laughs> that was Jeremiah, a prophet, writing to the Jews in exile in Babylon. And what he was saying is, you're going there for 70 years. That was what the prophet said. You'll be there 70 years, and then I'm going to bring you back to the land of Israel, and I'm going to prosper you again. This isn't to us. Uh, we have this very dangerous theology in our country called prosperity gospel. This is one of the verses where they look, no, God's will is to prosper me. I should be healthy, wealthy, you know, no, that's not written to us. So what is written to us, right? What are the promises? And I want to begin on page 905 in your Bible. We're going to look at Matthew. So grab, if it's the Bible in front of you, grab that. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Page 905, Matthew uh, chapter 11 Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to start with a promise there. But before we look at that, I want to ask you something. What is the most valuable emotion that we can have during times of trials, dur during times of 
suffering? That's kind of a weird question, but again, we're going to get to God's promises on this. Um, but what is the most important emotion we need to have? There was a, a study done in the 50s on rats, and this is kind of a morbid study. Uh, but this scientist took these uh, domesticated rats, right, born and raised in captivity, took them and put them in a bucket to see how long till they drowned. Um, and they swam for hours and even days. Uh, very few, some drowned quickly, but most of these domesticated rats swam a really long time. It's like, that's interesting. Now I'm going to catch wild rats, put them in a bucket, and, and his hypothesis was these wild rats are more tenacious, right? They have to survive out there. They're going to swim a lot longer. He put these wild rats in. They all drowned within minutes. It's like, that's not what I expected, right? So, you know, scientific hypothesis, like, okay, what, what could it be? Well, wait a minute, maybe these rats... In, in captivity are used to human contact um, and they've been helped before. She said, I'm gonna try something. He took these wild rats again. He'd put one in a bucket um, and right as it started to drown, he would take it out, right? And he would wipe it off, you know, and then he'd put it back in um, and it would swim a little longer. And as it started to drown, he would pull it out and, and dry it off and comfort it and, and then put it back. Eventually, doing that over and over and over, these rats would swim longer and longer until they were swimming as long as the domesticated rats. And the, the conclusion there was, was hope. Like, why is it that these things could swim so long? Hope. They had hope of rescue. They had hope of health. And these domesticated rats, right, which had been held and had that hope in them, these other ones kind of had to learn that. Many studies, of course, on, on humans would say the same thing. Our most important emotion when we go through trials and suffering is hope right? Hope. And for us, for believers, we have a hope different than the rest of the world because our hope is based on something true. Our, our hope is based on the one true creator God who loves us and gave his son to die for us. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Our hope is based on, on faith in something we don't see, but that's true. That's real. Now, again, how do we experience hope? We have to know God's promises. And many times when I talk to Christians who, who are, they feel hopeless, right, uh, in a relationship, a hopeless maybe with an addiction or, or sin, whatever reason they feel hopeless, or things have happened to them, trials and suffering often, they feel, oh, where is God? Like, what about these promises? A lot of times I find there, they, they don't understand God's promises correctly, or they don't know them at all. And so with that, I want to begin with a link to last week, one promise. Matthew 11, verse 28. Verse 28, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, some of you were thinking that <laughs> as we read that. It, yeah, right. Life is hard. And, and Ben last week did an awesome job looking at this idea of, of rest and God's promise to us of rest in this life. And, and he linked that to the idea of, of Sabbath, of taking time to rest. But I want to look at this in the, the context of, of suffering. And I think this is timely for us because I know some of the things that are going on within those in this room right now. I know of, of cancer issues. I know of relationship issues. I mean, we can go down the list. Some of you are suffering right now. And as Paul prayed, maybe you're giving God one last chance, right? There's these things in my life, God, where are you? I hope this will speak straight to where you are at and give you exactly what God wants to give you. So today, 
We are going to jump all over Scripture. So just stay here on this passage. Take notes. If you're a note taker, grab the, take notes. But we're going to jump all over, which is not what we normally do. We normally take one passage and dig in. But God's promises in suffering are all through Scripture. And so we're going to kind of bounce around, and we're going to look at four. Now, there's many more than that, but we don't have all day, unless you want to. Um, but we're going to look at four, right? Four promises we found throughout Scripture, uh, the New Testament, on suffering. Now, thinking about suffering, here's a promise. Tell me if you've heard this. God won't give you more than you can handle. H have you heard that one? Here's a promise. God won't give you more than you can handle. Let me read the verse that comes from. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Guess what? God doesn't promise he won't give you more than you can handle. He promises he won't tempt you beyond what you can handle. And within temptation, we'll always give you a way out, meaning there's never an excuse in sin. I had to do it, right? The devil made me do it. What, what, there's no excuse. This isn't talking about trials. This isn't talking about day in and day out. In fact, I think we'll see God does give us more than we can handle for the purpose of leaning on him so he's glorified. One of those strong emphasis in the New Testament is that God is glorified in our weakness, not in our strength. So if you're weak, good news, right? God wants to be strong in your weakness so he gets the glory. So let's look at the first promise. We're going to read 1 Peter 4, 12 to 14. It'll be on the screen. Most of these passages will be up here, so don't worry about it. You can just look up. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory and, the God, and of God rests upon you. What's this first promise? Again, this is not one we like. Suffering in Christ is normal and has a purpose. Suffering in Christ is normal and has a purpose, right? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. What fiery trial? Many kinds, a myriad, all kinds, relational trials, financial trials, uh, work trials, parenting trials, the other reverse trials, right? Why would we be surprised if we think God's promises are when we are saved, everything should go good? Scripture never promises that, right? In fact, often when we come to Christ, things can get harder because the enemy then goes, ooh, I, I have a new target, right? Or I need to prevent them from, from God doing what he wants to do in their lives, so trials are real. Suffering in Christ is normal and has a purpose. This is actually a big deal. So that when trials happen, you're not like, oh, what was me? I'm the only one to ever go through this. No, they're normal and they have a purpose. John 16, Jesus again says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That is all at the same time right? You will have peace, meaning now. In this world, you have trouble now, meaning you can have peace while having trouble at the same time, right? You, you have kids that are wandering away. You, you can have peace while you deal with that. You have some, some health issues, like an eyeball that makes you lay on your side for a month. Um, I've heard of that recently, kind of weird. Um, how can you have peace in that? We, all these things, how can we, right? Again, I've told you things, take heart, it's normal. In this world, you will have 
trouble. James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials, meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Here's the big point right up front. Suffering is normal and has a purpose, meaning God wants to do something in us. Trials, if we do it well, right, if we go through it faithfully, will produce in us greater faith, will produce in us greater joy. Suffering is normal and produces blessing to us and glory to God when we endure faithfully. Now, I want you to look at that, that point there, glory to God. Do you just want everything to be great in your life? Or do you have a desire bigger than that? I want God to be glorified. Those are, those are different, <laughs> right? If, if my main goal in life is to glorify God, then I'm going to view my, my circumstances differently. I'm going to be okay with trials. Like the disciples who were beaten, right, for their faith, and they go away rejoicing. Honestly, I picture them like high-fiving, right? They're all scarred up and beat up, and they're high-fiving each other. God counted us worthy to suffer for him. Sweet, right? Right? I mean, I, I'm serious. There's a piece of this. God won't give you more than you can handle. If God is giving you more than others, that might mean he knows you can handle it in him, right? Because he will give us more than we can handle. But meaning he trusts your faith. So he might give you more than this person because he knows you will lean on him and that he wants to do something through that. We won't always know what it is. That's how we can have joy in trials. My faith is growing and God might be up to something, right? Something for his glory, which will last forever. It's eternal, not just temporal. So again, suffering is normal. Now, where's the hope <laughs> in that? So far, it's like, well, where's the hope? You're just telling me I'm gonna suffer. Well, we're gonna begin with Hebrews 13 and just throw this one out there real quick and look at some other ones. Hebrews 13, five through six, where Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, right? And that's a promise we found in the Old Testament. In Hebrews, he's quoting the Old Testament. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is promising this to his people. Now, that promise is an unconditional promise. There, there are different promises in Scripture, and that's part of learning how to read the Bible. Some are unconditional. Some are conditional, meaning we have a part to play. Sanctification, right? Um, peace, joy, we have a part to play in that. You know, that's what uh, we heard last week of, of what we do to experience this peace that is promised. But here, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is not conditional on anything you do. If you have placed your faith in Jesus as Lord, boom, you get the presence of the Holy Spirit in you and he will never leave you or forsake you. So we can faithfully endure without fear any situation because God has promised never to leave us or forsake us. That's the first big promise. If you feel alone, you're not, right? If you don't feel God's presence, lean in, don't lean out. You're wrong on that, right? God has promised to be present with his people, with you, if you belong to him. Have you ever been through a tough time and, uh, and someone just sat with you? My tendency is to want to fix things. So if you're going through a hard time, don't call me because I'll come fix it for you or try. <laughs> Kayla's nodding. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and yes, sometimes... Callie will later say, hey, you don't need to fix it. Just listen. You know, you can't fix it. Um, but you ever been through that where somebody just sits and like, I get it, right? I I'm here with you. I get it. God's presence with us is that. A lot of times, I, I get it, and, and I'm here with you. 
It doesn't mean he's going to fix the situation, but he's going through the situation with us. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. Again, I told you we're going to be bouncing around because I want to dig in on the idea of promise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. This has been my main prayer for today. Knowing what, what some of us are going through right now, my prayer has been that every single one of us in here right now will experience this, God's supernatural comfort, because this is the second promise. God promises supernatural comfort. We're going to end this by looking a little bit how, but for, let's just lean on this. Do we believe this? Supernatural comfort, a comfort that cannot come apart from God. God promises supernatural comfort. The Holy Spirit, who is given to us at the moment of salvation, is called the Comforter. That's one of his names, right? He's called the Helper and the Comforter. Why is it, believers, that there's been a time in your life, think of it, where, where trials were happening, something awful was happening, and you're like, I'm okay. <laughs> Wait a minute. I have an eternal focus. Like, uh, how am I going through this? <laughs> That's the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit in you giving you comfort. So how does God comfort? Two ways. Two ways. One, right there directly from himself. But two, he comforts through his people. Right, the first one, John 14, 16, this is what I just referred to, says, and I will pray to the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may be with you forever. Right, that's the Holy Spirit, the comforter. Why is it sometimes we don't experience that? Because trials happen, we lean away from God rather than into God. And I've seen this many times, right? Things aren't going well, so I'm just going to separate from God and separate from God's people. Well, that's why you're not experiencing God's comfort you're separating yourself. It's like, I'm cold, so I'm going to take the blanket off. Well, that doesn't make sense at all, right? So that's the first way is he does it directly. Galatians 5, 16. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, right? The Holy Spirit, abiding in him, right? he produces these things, right? The God of comfort, meaning we, we abide, we walk by the Spirit, so this part of, of experiencing this peace and this comfort is conditional on us leaning into him. He's with us no matter what, but experiencing that comfort depends a little bit on us leaning into that comfort. But there's a second way he does it. He does it through his people. Uh, so you read through scripture. One of the great ideas from Genesis to the end is God's presence. You see Adam and Eve at the beginning, and God walks in the garden with him. His presence was there until they messed it up for all of us, right? They, they sinned, then it changed. Later, we see God call his, his nation through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? The nation of Israel. Uh, they, get, they get enslaved uh, to Egypt. Moses leads them out. And if you remember the stories, and if you don't, that's okay, I'm going to tell you. Here's the story. He miraculously leads them out of Egypt, and God shows his presence with them through a cloud in the day, and a fire at night. And he did that on purpose saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. Super cool. Um, 
You should read Genesis if you haven't heard this story. They're leaving, and there's millions of them, right? They're leaving Egypt. They're, they're, they're going on, and in front of them is this cloud or this fire, and then they get to the sea. They're like, ah, what do we do, right? How do we cross the sea? And that's the story of the sea then parting. But when they stop there, the, the, the Egyptians are coming after them, right? Chariots and scary, ah, and the fire moves behind them. Right? I mean, it's God like, hey, y'all, I'm here. I'm the one that took you out. And now I'm going to move behind and I'm going to protect you. So, so God's presence is a big deal. Then later, right, they, they move into the promised land. They build a temple. Solomon builds the temple. When they consecrate the temple, the smoke fills it so the priests can't do their job. Right? They're doing all the stuff that they're supposed to do. They're like, hey, we got to put the bread here. I can't see. Can you guys see? He, his presence filled the temple. So for Israel... They would go to the temple. They would experience God's presence there. When Jesus died and rose from the dead, when he died, the temple shook, and there was a veil in there that separated the, the main area from the Holy of Holies, God's presence. It tore in half, meaning we got a new order now. New covenant is what we call it. We're going to get into Hebrews soon and, and look at this new covenant, but it means God's presence is still here with us, but now it's through his people, meaning when God comforts you through one of his people, that's Jesus directly comforting you. Here's what that also means. Maybe you're like me, and you've been driving down the road, and on your heart, you think of somebody. You're like, why did I just think of that person? I should call them. Nope, too busy. And I, what, if, what if that's Jesus in me saying, I need to comfort that person, and I want you to do it, and I ignore it? That's a problem, right? And, and, and honestly, for me, I'll do that. I'm like, that's just me being emotional and weird. Um, if I still feel this way in a couple hours, then I'll do it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, is it the burrito I ate? My point is God will comfort you. <laughs> he wants to comfort you through his people. So we need to be with his people. That's why this is so important. That's why we emphasize groups so much. We need to be with one another, right, to receive comfort and to give comfort. I've had people tell me, I don't need to go to church, right? I don't need to be in community. I don't need other people. I have God. And, and I've told those people, well, maybe they need you. If you've got it all in order, I guarantee we need you then, <laughs> right? You can come help us. Because again, comfort, he comforts through others so that we can also be a comfort. All right, let's go to three here. Number three, all suffering is temporary. All suffering is temporary. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What does he call it here, right? Everything we go through in this life is, is light, momentary affliction. That's, that's what he says. And right now, you can probably look back at when you were in high school and certain things were awful. And you look back, you're like, it wasn't really that bad, <laughs> right? Even the things you're going through now, probably in 20 years, you might look back and go, we got through that. But here's the point. Maybe it is bad, but it's momentary. And in the, the vision of eternity forever, it, it is a moment. It is short. Our lives are really short. Eternity is, is forever. That's a really long time, by the way. Um, you, you, I mean, we can't even grasp that. But also, most of our suffering here is, is also temporarily 
temporary. Ooh, that's cool. Do you, you know what I mean? Temporarily, temporary. It's, it's, even in this life, it's only for a while. So that gives us hope that even this will pass eventually. Right? 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, we, we looked at that. The idea in that chapter there is that the Holy Spirit indwells weak people. Right? That, that we are jars of clay, meaning we're fragile, but in us is something valuable, the Holy Spirit, right? that will lead us through this light momentary affliction. That's why we can see it that way. 1 Peter 5, 16 to 11 says the same thing. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Ugh. Wow. I mean, did you hear all that? Right? He, he says, for one, after you have experienced suffering for a little while, my goodness, the God of all grace, who's called you into his eternal glory, that's a promise, by the way. You are called to his eternal glory. Wow, he will restore you. He will confirm you. He will strengthen you. He will establish you. Because to him be the dominion forever. That's a great promise. And we look before, right? It's just for a little while. Here it's for a little while. There it's gonna be forever. I wanna skip earlier a little bit in that. Right, it says humble yourselves. And then he says casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Do you believe that? The creator God cares for you deeply. Think about the person you love the most in all of life. God cares about you a million times more than that. He cares for you. I mean, for real. He cares for you. He sees what you're going through. He knows it. He loves you. If, if he could change it, he will, right? If it's best for him to change it, he will because he cares for you. So guess what? You're not alone. I want to go back to that point, right? You're not alone. I, right here, it talked about the devil and his tactics. Here's one of the devil's greatest tactics, making you feel like you're alone. You're the only one with this temptation. You're, you're the only one with this, this addiction, right? You're the only one with this relationship issue. You're the only one, whatever. Guess what? You're not. One, you have God who understands and gets it. I can't wait till we get into Hebrews. We're going to see that deeper. But also, I guarantee you there's at least a handful of people in this room that have the same trials, tribulations as you. Maybe they've already got through them. You, you should meet them, right? Maybe they're going through it now, and you can encourage each other while going through it to point to Christ together. But you're not alone. Do not buy the lie that the devil gives you. You are all by yourself. No, lean into him. Lean in to his people. Again, this, this great promise here is, is that we're not alone. And we looked at three, that all suffering is temporary. But that leads to the fourth one, the last one, that God cares, sees everything, and will reward faithful endurance. Right? He will reward faithful endurance. James 5 
10 and 11. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He will reward faithful endurance. Now, Ben sent me a text this week. You think there's a difference in, in God's promises and suffering that is suffering for him and, and other suffering, suffering because of your own sin? And I responded, yes, I think. <laughs> right, right? I mean, it's kind of one of those where there's some of God's promises that do seem to apply when we suffer for his sake, that there's where the real blessing is. But, but at the same time, y'all have caused a lot of problems for yourself, haven't you? Right? Um, your sin, your, your decisions. Look at the history of humanity. That's kind of our story as a race. <laughs> is, I, I mean, sin? Whose fault is sin? Well, it was Adam and Eve, and, and also we've chosen to sin. And God saw what we created in sin, took on flesh, paid the price for our sin, took the punishment we deserve so we could have life and forgiveness, meaning he stepped into a problem we created and, and fixed it. So, in, in what we have created, God still looks at that and goes, he's not, he's not like a bad dad. It's like, well, you're getting what you deserve, dummy. You know, maybe you parents have said that. Um, I never have. But God doesn't, God doesn't do that, right? There are consequences for sin, absolutely. But even then, God can get it, and some are lifelong consequences, God can still work in that and go, I'm still going to glorify myself through this, through your repentance, through your confession, through your seeking reconciliation, and then you walking faithfully, even under the consequences of what you created, God is still faithful. So there is a difference, I believe, in blessing, but also a lot of these promises apply whatever the trial is. He, again, I want you to hear, he's not looking at you going, you're a dummy, and I'm abandoning you. No, you're a dummy, and I love you anyway. Right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig in. I'm going to go through this with you. But there's also blessing. Right? So, if you are bold living for Christ in family, in work, in school, people will come against you. Maybe there's those in your family who think you're an idiot because of your faith. Right? Maybe you've experienced problems at work. You're like, I'm not going to promote this Christian. Or whatever it is. There is suffering. And that suffering specifically does have unique blessing. Matthew 5, 10 to 12 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There are eternal rewards for faithful endurance. There's hope in that. Right? Although we might not be able to figure out exactly what those are, we can believe God and there's hope that I'm going through this trial and there are rewards later. Listening, suffering will either make us bitter or better. Won't it? Suffering will either make us bitter, God hates me, he's abandoned me, I'm all alone, whatever, and we can get bitter. Or we lean into him and trust him through it and makes us better. Our, our, our faith grows. We become more useful to him for others. We become bitter or better depending on our response to suffering. And so we remember these promises when we're in trials. And maybe this is you right now. One, your trial is normal. 
right? Your suffering is normal and expected. You're not alone. Two, God offers supernatural comfort. So go to him, right? Lean into his people. Three, it's temporary. It's just for a season. And then the last one, you know, number four, that God knows, cares, and in addition to giving you everything you need to faithfully endure with both joy and peace, he will reward you eternally. So we lean into these promises. Now, I want to apply this very specifically, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Callie and I were sitting down with, with a couple recently talking about trials. There was health trials, financial trials, emotional trials, all at the same time. They're like, what about God's promises? And I, I mean, I've been studying for this. I'm like, well, that's a great question. You know, I quoted this verse. Callie's sitting there and she's like, you left a part out. And I did. I quoted the verse and I left out with thanksgiving, which I think is the powerful part right there. We bring it to God, but with thanksgiving, you can't leave that part out. You leave that part out and it loses a lot of the, the thrust. In fact, here's our last point. Our weapon is gratefulness, thanksgiving, and worship. What's our weapon to experience this peace and joy during trials? It's thankfulness, gratefulness, worship. I mean, that's why I love coming in here, right? These songs, maybe you, like me, have had, like, things aren't good at the moment, whatever. You come and you start hearing others sing praises, and your heart starts to feel some comfort. We are made to worship. And so as we, as we kind of conclude here, my prayer, again, has been that God will give you supernatural comfort today, now. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes these things take a little work. Maybe it's not immediate. And I think as the church, often we haven't done this quite well, right? Somebody's suffering, maybe suffering emotionally, depression, whatever, and we just say, have more faith and get over it. Well, that's not real helpful, <laughs> you know? Uh, instead, let's lean into God's promises and then let's go through the process together of growing into peace and joy, uh, of experiencing his comfort, but it might not be immediate. So there's some things that we can do, right? There's some things that we can do. One, Kind of what I referred to earlier is, you know, I prepare this weeks in advance and I, I keep going through it. And this morning as I'm going through, the thing that stuck out to me again and again was the idea of purpose. Like there might be a reason God allowed you to suffer or is allowing you to suffer and you might not ever know it, but you can trust him, right, in it that he has a purpose in it. So I think that's valuable. But then also, what do we do? We know that we're not alone. So we abide in him and we lean into community, right? And come back to that passage in Matthew. That's, hopefully you're still there, Matthew 28, or Matthew 11, 28 and 29 and 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is a promise that we can experience in the midst of trials and of suffering. Uh, you probably got a bulletin on your way in. Um, we have our connect card on the back, and one of the things we try and include on here is, is next steps, right? Next steps. And so what we have on here is, is twofold. Um, one is, is leaning into the weapon of gratefulness and thanksgiving. And so that's the first one. Begin each day thanking God for five specific things. For real. 
I mean, you might need to check this. Fill this out and put it in the box so that we hear you saying, I'm going to do this, right? Gratefulness is a huge weapon. Uh, Thursday, I picked up Elise from school, and I was really thirsty. I hadn't had any water. I said, do you have some water? She handed me the water. I opened it. I'm like, God did a good job making water, didn't he? She's like, yeah. (laughs) Like, you're kind of weird, and of course. But there's still simple little things, right, that we can enjoy and and. Thank God for that. Like, God, thank you for water. Thank you for the birds tweeting us. I mean, there's a lot to be thankful for. And ultimately, thank you for salvation. Right? Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. I'm eternally secure. And that's a huge thing to be thankful for. So that's your, your first application, right? Begin your day with thankfulness. And then the second one is uh, visit the table at the front um, and sign up for a group. We push this not, not because we're trying to build ourselves, but because we need relationships. Right? God's presence is in his people. We need one another. And so we have gone to lengths to make that available. Um, groups in the week, again, Rooted is amazing, but then table groups. If you're like, I don't know where to start, you know, I just want to try, hang out after. Uh, the, the folks leading table groups are pretty awesome, um, and they've been through things too. And so this is our, our application. But again, lean on these promises. God promises us <laughs> rest even in the midst of trials and suffering. Let's pray. God, uh, I thank you. God, I thank you for your word. Um, I do ask that as we, as we go into groups um, and, and we look at these ideas of, of your promises, that we would grow in our learning of how to read your word, of how to read scripture. Um, it's, it's not a lot of mystery in here. A, a lot of it is clear when we understand simple uh, tactics of how to read your word. And I pray that we as a church would grow in that area individually that we would grow in how to read your word and, and realize then which applies to us so that we can get to know you, fall deeper in love with you, and experience your promises, experience your promises. Uh, those of abundant life, of peace, of joy, of purpose. Holy Spirit, I ask you right now, uh, you, you told us here that you are the God of all comfort and that Holy Spirit, you are the comforter and that Jesus, you will comfort through your people. I ask that you would do that right now. As we move to communion, that you would give comfort. Maybe somebody needs to come pray with me and receive your comfort. Maybe they need to grab somebody else in the body here, pray with them and get comfort. Maybe they need to go up to one of these uh, prayer walls and write down a prayer to you, starting with thanksgiving and then giving their request to you, that then you would give them comfort. God, we love you. We believe you can do all things supernaturally and that you can do this in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.